won the Big East Championship. And that's the way it sounded on television 30 years ago, March 10th, 1991, when the little Catholic school from South Orange, Seton Hall University, won its first ever Big East Championship title over the mighty Georgetown Hoyas by a score of 74 to 62. A day that will live in Seton Hall lore. The Pirates have since won two more championships, but you never forget your first. Isn't that right, Jerry Walker? That's right, Brian, you, of course. And I can't believe it's 30 years, Brian. I got to tell you, I mean, it went, it, it seemed like it was this yesterday, you know, during March Madness, I get all fired up and feel like I'm getting ready for a game and everything else. But uh, 30 years, man. But uh, yeah, it was a wonderful time. It was, it was a special, special time for Seton Hall. No doubt. And it's still a special time thinking about that 30 years ago. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Tri-State College Basketball Report. My name is Brian DeNavellis, and with me today is the aforementioned Jerry Walker. He was an important role player. Hard to believe he was a role player on that 91 Seton Hall team as a sophomore, but later he would become the cornerstone for the Pirates' front line for the next two seasons in South Orange. And for my money, one of the greatest defensive players in Seton Hall history, if I believe the 1993 Defensive Player of the Year in the Big East Conference, Jerry Walker. Sorry. Jerry, great to talk to you, my friend. You too, Brian. Yeah, I uh, I was coming off the bench uh, that year, uh, coming out of high school. I mean, obviously I had to sit out the freshman year. And, uh, I had My body went through some changes and stuff like that, so I had to get back into shape. And I remember an, in a squad game when um, – we was playing, I was all excited and, and I was playing, um, uh, Anthony Amen and I went to go block a shot and I fractured my wrist. I don't know if you recall that. And I played the whole season, Brian, with a fractured right wrist. So I I was shooting a lot left-handed, but I didn't want to sit out again. So yeah, that, that's what it was. Going up against double A in practice every day. He had yeah. a monster se senior season, as I recall, Jerry. He almost yes. averaged a double-double, like 17 points and I think 9.9 .9 rebounds, second team all Big East that year. What was it like battling him in practice and uh, every day? Uh, you know, I knew it, it was it was a great challenge because I knew Anthony Avon was a pro prospect. Um, I knew Anthony for a really long time. We actually played. AAU a couple years ahead of me, but we actually played AAU basketball together. So uh, it was a North Jersey City thing too. So we, we was rivalries with the city, but you know we found to 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 to, to chemistry up at Seton Hall. So uh, Anthony was a great player, and he's doing great things right now after life after basketball. So yeah, no doubt. As so many of the Seton Hall players on that team, Terry DeHair was a, a young sophomore, but really one of the stars. I mentioned Anthony Avent, the senior leader on that team. Take me through that season, Jerry, and how how you guys really started peaking later in that year. What what are your memories 30 years ago? You know, I I, I remember, you know, Oliver Taylor. Um, Oliver Taylor was a great point guard. It, it was somebody that kind of like flew under the radar. You know, we got Oliver Taylor from a junior college and, and Oliver Taylor was a, you know, he's an all city guard. So a lot of people forgot about OT and Oliver brought a lot of, you know, experience to our club uh, because like I said, he was coming from a junior college situation and, you know, he's, he's one of the unsung heroes of Seton Hall. And as you know, uh, that time period was called OT time. You know, he, he, uh, he, he made all the national news and two nights in a row, Brian, if you recall, he, he had the buzzer beaters. That's right. uh, so that's a tremendous thing. And, you know, as a kid, 
uh, them the type of moments you you, you practice for. Uh, for that to come to fruition for him, I know, you know, I speak to Oliver all the time and he always think about that, them shots. And then uh, he's he's really thrilled about it. He could, you know, he's down in, in Atlanta now. He's actually a chef officer in Atlanta. But uh, but yeah, OT, that, it was especially, man, it was a special time. And then people didn't see it coming. You know, and nobody predicted us to win the Big East tournament that year. And we kind of like gelled at the right time. And, and we was an underdog that whole season. I mean, if you recall um, when we was in a Sweet 16 going to the Elite Eight, and I like to talk about, you know, I have I have I have the right to talk smack all the way up until this point, you know, because I made it to the Elite Eight, you know. So so I always tell my kids that, like, look, I was still playing at this time a year. So That's right. uh, it was a wonderful experience, though. Yeah. That's right. That was the last Seton Hall team to make it to the Elite Eight, the 90-91 team. Let's go through each game in the Big East tournament. I know it's 30 years ago, Jerry. Okay, let's go. I'm hoping, I'm hoping you remember part of it because the first round matchup, it was a 4-5 game against Pittsburgh. Yep. And uh, Pitt was a team that you probably matched up well against. They matched up well against you. A 4-5 game is always a toss-up game. Pitt took the lead late in that game. Yep. Do you remember what Oliver Taylor did to take that ball coast to coast and, and uh, what was supposed to happen at all? Yeah. So we, we, you no, know, PJ had a lot of confidence OT. He called flat. So the, the play was actually designed for Oliver to go one-on-one with the, with the notion on uh, us going to the offensive rebound and crashing the boards. And Pitt was always a challenge for us. We always, you know, I never beat Pitt. We had more talent than Pitt at a certain point, but we never beat Pitt down at the field house. I mean, it was just something about the big East. You just right. couldn't, you know, beat guys twice, and and we we beat them the last time. So beating a team in the Big East two times in a row uh, is very difficult. So we very con- we concentrated, and I and I can recall Oliver going coast to coast and making that shot. Man, it was it was something that I'll never forget, and and something he'll never forget because then just the next the next day, then because those games were played in the afternoon, you yep. had to play Villanova, and I think you caught a break there, Jerry, because Villanova was the eight seed, and they knocked off the one seed, Syracuse. And yep. that was at a time, Jerry, when Seton Hall could not beat Syracuse, right? Yeah. We were in the yeah. middle of a 23-game losing streak. So yep. what was your preparation going into that game, knowing that you weren't playing Syracuse and you were playing Villanova? Well, I mean, hey, every team in the Big East is, is tough. And when, you know, and we thought that Villanova was peaking at the right time, so we, we took them real seriously. We kind of matched up better with Villanova than Syracuse. Uh, that year in terms of height and everything else. So that was a blessing for us not to play Syracuse that year because, like you said, you know, Syracuse had our number. I, my team was the first team actually to beat Syracuse. Uh, they beat Seton Hall for 20 years prior to that. Uh, so we, you know, so they did have our number. Um, but, you know, the the, the, the seat, I, I remember that Villanova game was tough. We went at the buzzer again, and I remember, I, I actually was just looking at a tape with that um, game up just the other day, and at the end, Brian, if you see the game, Yes. See, I still was playing defense. So when Oliver, when Oliver Taylor um, laid the ball in or whatever, shot the jump shot, I think, jump shot. I was still, like, playing defense on a guy, on, a, like, the inbound guy that's jumping up, <laughs> celebrating. But I was still I was still in my defensive mode, though. I was watching it the other day. It was cool to watch. <laughs> yeah, so special it, moment, man. No, no doubt. No doubt. And listen, Seton Hall had a big front court then. You know, you were coming off the bench. You had Gordon Winchester. Yep. Who, yep. who was who was a veteran on that team? You had yep. you had Anthony Avent. So yep. there there were some big boys on that team, and and Arturis Karnishevis. So yes. those were the three starters. And the next game after Oliver Taylor hits those back to back buzzer beaters, right? The Garden. I mean, what better place is there, Jerry, than to hit a buzzer beater than Madison Square Garden? 
Oh, it's no better place, man. I, I mean, and it was New York City. So Oliver Taylor is from New York. So, I mean, that's one of them. You know, I envy him with that moment. You know, it was it was great. It was electrifying at the Garden. And I, I'll, I'll never forget it, man. It was a packed house. And it, Garden is just, it's just a tremendous place to play. And, and that was one of my dreams, always, to, you know, to play into the Garden. And that's one of the reasons why I went to the Big East is because of Madison Square Garden, because it's so legendary, especially from the Metropolitan. That's like the Mecca. Um, and, and I had a chance to play play there, and I thank God for that, to give me the opportunity to play there. But it was wonderful, man. It, it's like, in the way the garden is built, uh, the acoustics to the garden is very is very good. So it's like, it's a big arena, but they still like right on top mm -hmm. of you. So you can really hear uh, the, the noise in the crowd, and it makes a difference. It does make a difference. So Seton Hall coming off two buzzer beaters in the first and second round. Then you get Georgetown in the finals. Now, Georgetown was a little bit of a disappointment that year, but they still had two future NBA centers in Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo. Well, we had to match up with them guys. And, you know, I tell you, I, you know, them guys were so long and stuff. And one of the things my, my strategy was, you know, playing against Alonzo and Dikembe was to push him out of the block. Because if they was close to the block, they were so much taller than me that, you know, they would just shoot right over me. So I, I really, really concentrated on angles and, like, pushing them away from the block. And it kind of helped. And, and with our rotation defense, we always had, like, two guys on them at once uh, because they were studs. They, you know, they, they NBA Hall of Famers. And, uh, we, you know, we didn't take that lightly. But we, we had our A game that day, and, and our guard play really carried us. Guard play with not only Terry DeHair, not only Ollie Taylor, but you had a freshman in Brian Caber. That's right. And and, and even a role player in Daryl Chris knew his role in that team. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then we had, you know, up front, we, you know, we had a couple guys. We have softball there. He was from Israel. So we had we had pretty good nucleus right. um, of talent on that team. And, you know, PJ says my my 93 team was the most talented team. But I got to argue that team, my, 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 my 93 team is probably neck to neck because you know, Triple A, Anthony Avon was so good. And um, so we, you know, we had the same, we, we had the same guys too. So, yeah, so that team was very special. And we did some special things because, like, going into the, after coming out of that tournament, we were such, we had so much confidence in ourselves that we could believe we could go all the way. There's nobody else believed that we'd go all the way uh, but us. But guess what happened? We wound up getting into the bracket with UNLV. Obviously, we, we beat Arizona. You know, everybody, if you recall, Brian, that year, Arizona was number two in the country. So everybody really wanted UNLV. They thought that should have been a, the matchup, but they was upset with the NCAA because of the bracket, because they put them in the same bracket. Um, but guess what? Arizona, Arizona didn't make it to that game. Because you know right. why? Because we beat them. <laughs> we beat them. <laughs> and I want to talk to you about that, because after you won the Big East tournament, in 1991, Seton Hall's first ever Big East championship. You get to the NCAA tournament and yep. you take care of Pepperdine. You take care yep. of Creighton. So yep. you're the number three seed and you're going up against Arizona. And we know how Arizona fans could be, right? Yep. Because yep. Seton Hall also faced them in 2004 when Arizona thought they were going to win in the NCAA tournament. And yep. Seton Hall won that one as well. So they had players that everybody knew. They were a national ranked team. Chris Mills, Sean yep. Rooks, Khalid yep. Reeves, right? What was PJ's game plan going up against Arizona in the Sweet 16, and how were you able to beat them? Well, we, you know, Coach said, listen, guys, look, he, he said to us at that moment, like, look, guys, we overachieved this, this year. Um, so I'm pretty proud of you guys on where you guys at right now. 
But I also know that, you know, with our chemistry and believing in ourselves that we could we could advance. We believe in ourselves. So we, we was real loose, man. We didn't have anything to 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 hold our heads on. If we would have lost that game because everybody was predicting, you know, Arizona to be us. They had three, four NBA guys, you know, first round picks. You know, I remember Brian Williams. He, he tragically died in the um uh he suicide um in the in the out in the ocean. Remember, I don't know if you remember that story, but um you know Williams was like he was six eleven, wiry. He could shoot the ball. He was a southpaw. Remember him? Yeah, lefty. Absolutely. And you know you know you know the difference in the Big East and these other conferences. We tougher than them. That's the difference. So 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 when I was playing him Williams, I was like, man, he it, it ain't it wasn't like Alonzo morning. I, I you know when I had to push Alonzo off the box, I had to really push him. Right. But Williams, he was just, I was just pushing him. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, they, they style of play was totally different than the Big East. We, we was more half-court, grounded out defense, you know, smash mouth, that type of thing. But they was more gunning, you know, up and down type uh, styles of play. So our style of play kind of helped us out, slow the ball down, the tempo. And, and that's what happened. And that's what happened. Talking with the great Jerry Walker, Seton Hall, uh, 30 years since they wow. won their first Big East championship in 1991, and we're going through the NCAA tournament. So now Seton Hall is one win from their second Final Four in three seasons. The problem is, is that you're playing UNLV, who was the best team in college basketball at that time. Yeah. And yeah. for one half, Jerry, it was a three-point game. The, the score at right. halftime was 39-36. So That's right. what was it like being in that game and going up against that team? Well, we felt thrilled going into halftime, Brian, with the only down by three. If you recall, the margin of victory going into halftime with UNLV at that time was like they was up by 20 points or more. Uh, so we felt like we felt good about that. I mean, UNLV had, once again, they had like four or five pros division. I mean, first round pass, draft pick, too. And plus, they was older than us, too, Brian. That's just, you know, I don't know how to talk about best yeah. Titanium. Yeah. Larry, Larry Johnson. Yeah, Larry Johnson was 25 yeah. years old. I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I still remember the college he was from. He played at San Jacinto Junior College, right? It's just things you, you, that are ingrained. I mean, I could I could name the starting five still today with Stacey Ogman and Larry Johnson and Anderson Hunt and, yes. and uh, Greg Anthony. Anthony. I yes. mean, just ridiculous players and Ackles and, uh, yes. you know, Travis Bice was on that team. So, listen, you watch them through the year. You know you're there at halftime. Do you remember what happened in the second half and, and how they were able to pull away? Yeah, man. Look, they was the most underrated defensive team in the country. Um, we couldn't get our offense started on the, on the second half. They was denying us the pass once they made Tarkani made some adjustments in that halftime that we didn't keep up with. And it was it was it was it was it was, it was tough getting our offense started. And they took us out of our chemistry, and 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 that's what happened. We kind of like started falling apart from there because once you take a team out of their chemistry and what they know they're used to doing is going to cause about, you know, some problems. And that's what happened to us. Instead of us, you know, sticking to our game plan, slowing it down, we tried to go up and down with them. And you can't go up and down with the running Rebels. Um, and, and that's what Bobby and them got right that year. Bobby and them, you know, slowed the ball down and and they wound up, you know, you know, controlling the tempo because, you know, you can't outscore UNLV because they had too many weapons. Uh, that UNLV team was the best team that I ever played against uh, in terms of uh, collegiately in terms of the talent level. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, it was hard me. It was hard for me to cover um, uh, Larry Johnson because, you know, Larry Johnson was shorter than me. And I'm like, 
I'm used to, you know, covering guys that was taller than me. Mm -hmm. So he was like, sure. So it posed a little bit different challenge for me to, to play him. And plus he could hit the three. So it was a little bit more challenging playing Larry Johnson because he was shorter than me. I was so used to playing guys that was uh, uh, taller than me. And I used the center of gravity to my, 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 uh, my, <laughs> to my credit. So, yeah. No doubt, no oh, doubt. Going up yeah. against, you know, like you said, Morning and Matumbo and Billy Curley from Boston College. Oh, just oh, some, every yeah. night, right? Every night, a mix up, a mix up. And I mean, I mean, Jerome Lane and Pitt. Like it was some real big bad boys in the Big East, man. That you had to play against every night. No you doubt, know, every night, every night, no man. So. No doubt, Jerry. So, so Jerry Walker. Thirty years later, does it hit you that? You know, every time you go back to Seton Hall, people still talk about those years. That was that was, a, you know, two years removed from the national championship game. The next year you go to the Sweet 16. The year after that, you know, was, of course, the disappointing loss to yeah. uh, Western Kentucky in the second round. But you also won your second Big East championship that year. Yeah. You know, when you look fondly at those golden years and you go back to Seton Hall today, what is it like when you talk to fans and, and they love hearing about those days. I mean, especially, man, it makes me feel like I'm still playing. I, you know, if I could get a dollar for every time when somebody said, Jerry, we need you out there. I'll be rich right now. I, I mean, I, I love it. You know, our fan base is, is wonderful and they, you know, they don't forget. Uh, they don't forget, you know, the way I came to work every day in terms of me working hard to try to figure out how to, you know, win a championship and, and, and get seat hall to a certain level. You know, I was a high school All-American coming out of St. Anthony's and and I was recruited, heavily recruited by everybody. But, uh, you know, Seton Hall was a special place to me. It was a smaller Catholic institution, which I was used to going to uh, in St. Anthony's. And also, you know, Robin Cunningham, uh, she was such a superstar in terms of, uh, you know, academics that I thought that I, I would at least, you know, have a chance to graduate. Um, and, and and I did graduate because of Robin, and, and 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 that's one of the reasons why I chose Seton Hall. And plus, Seton Hall didn't have the big tradition of like a North Carolina Duke and all that. You know, as we was going through the recruit and stuff, me, Bobby, Terry, all us, we talked about stuff like that. And you know, Terry was like, "Yeah, Seton Hall," and I was like, "Well, I want to go to Seton Hall too, man." Because and that's what one of the reasons why I wanted to go because they it wasn't established like that. I mean, we had like Mark Bryant, you know, that mm -hmm. was a big star there, and and Seton Hall was just coming to age and. You know, it was more of a, it was more of a uh, baseball university of anything. I mean, Shep had it going in the right direction for a really long time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I feel good about establishing that sort of history at a university uh, that could live on forever. You know, we, you know, that's just a memory and, you know, life is not forever, but memories are. No doubt. Great memories. Talking about the first Big East championship in Seton Hall history 30 years ago, where Seton Hall is celebrating the 30th anniversary of that first championship team. Jerry, before I let you go, I want to talk about the wonderful work you have done post-graduation with Team Walker, your nonprofit organization in Jersey City, uh, the city you grew up in, and the wonderful things you are doing there with uh, the children and what you've been able to build and brand through your time at Seton Hall and through all of the community in Jersey City. Uh, yeah, look, I'm thrilled about what I'm doing in, in my life right now. You know, everybody, we all have the intentions on trying to go to the NBA and, you know, make money and play professional overseas or the NBA. But uh, what I'm doing right now is more gratifying than that. I, you know, I found myself as I was overseas just thinking about, you know, trying to make my community better and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this is something I don't take lightly. It's something that, 
that's been in my family over 75 years. I've been doing it now 25 years. And this is something that is self-gratifying. You know, I see my colleagues, Bobby, Danny, Darren Savino, all these other guys that play with me, a tourist carnivorous, you know, making millions of dollars. Uh, but, you know, I'm saving lives. And I believe um, that education is key. You know, I know that when you convince a kid that they can really learn and you see the light bulb go off and you actually see the kids gaining confidence, that that you can't put a price on that, Brian. And I and I love it. And I and I love having that feeling, you know. And I, I get a lot out of it too. You know, I I I get a chance to talk to the kids and understand what's going on. And I still know all the latest dances and the, and the music they go on. You know, I keep I keep I keep current, you know. I keep current. So uh it's been it's been it's been a real pleasure for me, man, uh, doing this work. Um and, and and I love doing it. And actually I just Conishvis uh tourists just called me the other day out of the blue, man, and I, I was I was thrilled to talk to him. He's doing great out in Chicago. He's actually commuting back and forth, Chicago to Denver. Uh, you got to figure that out. But, you know, Artie, we're we pulling for him. And there's just a lot of people just doing a, a great, you know, a great amount of t- tremendous work out there. And, and Seton Hall really, uh, really produced a lot of uh, uh, people that's doing a lot of good, good stuff in this world. Um, you know, Brian Cave is down in Trenton doing social service work with the kids down there. Um, you know, Gordon Winchester. He's a firefighter over New York City. So, you know, I, I just, you know, it's just thrilled that everybody's doing pretty well. And, and the experience at Seton Hall, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And we wouldn't trade you for anything, Jerry. <laughs> That's no right. About it. So if anybody wants to find out more information about Team Walker, what's the website? Yes, www.teamwalker.org, phone number 201-433-1888. Um, and look, guys, we, we understand that, you know, it do take finances, but Tom, uh, is money too and, and, and experiences too because one of the things I'm trying to do is bring worlds together because some of these kids don't get see you know get a chance to even go out of Jersey City um, and, and bringing worlds together is, is, is critical to me and Jersey City is a, is a chain city it's like a tale of two cities um, the haves and the haves not so I'm trying to bring that that world together as well so Jerry God bless you and I, I can tell you uh, I know the big guy's smiling down at you and uh, I oh. hope he has a place in there for both of us someday. So yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the great work, my friend. Uh, you do wonderful things in Jersey City with Team Walker. And I thank you for uh, giving us a lot of laughs and a lot of great memories uh, 30 years ago. It's hard to believe it's it's been 30 years since that first Big wow. East championship. But wow. hey, happy 30th anniversary, Jerry. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you, man. And I appreciate you always supporting Team Walker. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Go Pirates. There he is, the great Jerry Walker, Seton Hall Hall of Famer. Is he in the Hall of Fame? If Jerry Walker is not in the Seton Hall Hall of Fame, he should be. If he is, I'm sorry for not knowing that. That man should be in the Seton Hall Hall of Fame, no question. Man, it was great catching up with him. All right, before we go on the Tri-State College Basketball Report, I just want to get one thing off my chest, right? We are in the Tri-State after all. Did you see the UConn women's game against Baylor. Did you see the final play in that game? My goodness, if you haven't, Google it, okay? Because you should have been watching it. Picture this, Baylor down one, UConn at the free throw line with under 20 seconds to go. UConn misses both free throws, right? So it's still a one point game. Baylor comes down, I believe they called timeout, and coming out of the timeout, they set up a play for their leading scorer in the game, Dijanae Carrington, all right? They ran their set. Carrington then makes her move with about 
seven seconds to go, drives toward the left low block, pulls up for a jump shot, and gets absolutely clobbered. All right? Now, listen, with all due respect to the officials and the viewers at home, our view from the full game camera looked like it could have been great defense. Two UConn players challenged her, and Carrington goes straight back. The ball is blocked. UConn retains possession. They go on to, they get fouled. They go on to win the game. All right? But replays show a different story. Replays clearly show that Carrington not only got hit on the elbow, but she got smacked across the face. She had four arms. It was like a giant Hassan chop going across her, her elbow, her forearm, her face. I mean, I'm surprised, you know, she didn't have welts across her face. I understand the rule of verticality, okay? I understand the officials were letting them play and were letting a lot go. And I also understand, because I do officiate basketball games on a local level, I do understand that even professionals are going to miss several, not one or two, but several calls throughout the game. But I also know this. In crunch time, in any sport, game winding down, extra innings, uh, two seconds left, whatever the situation is, you better make that money call. Because if you don't, your call or inability to make that call is going to greatly impact that game in a reverse manner. Take your pick throughout history, ladies and gentlemen. Take your, your last second calls in any sport. How about the 2019 NFC Championship game? The non-pass interference call that everybody saw was pass interference live and replays clearly showed it. How about Seton Hall fans? We're still lamenting John Clogarty's block call in the final seconds of overtime against Michigan. My gosh, every time I watch that, I still think Clogarty's going to, for some reason, swallow the whistle. And, and let's see Ramil Robinson pass the ball to Terry Mills or, or whoever caught that ball. I'm forgetting who caught the ball. All right, and see if he would have made that little jump shot on the baseline. Oh, please, just once Clogarty swallowed the whistle. But in this case, it was the opposite. We didn't want the officials to swallow the whistle. That lead official on the baseline, there's three officials. You, you got to tell me somebody saw Carrington get smacked. Somebody. I get it. You're going to be blocked out. You're not going to have a good angle. But I'll tell you what. I've seen this play like six times. That lead official, he's got to be creeping over and getting into a better position to put himself in a position to be able to see that the rule of verticality was broken and that not one but four arms came across Carrington. I can complain until I'm blue in the face. It's not changing the call. And Gino Oriema called it right. Listen, you want to go through every call? You want to go through every call in the game? Like when Paige Beckers was on the floor and one of the Baylor players jumped on top of her and they didn't call it, right? So I get it. But when the chips are down in the final seconds of a one-point game and you have to make the call and there are three of you and not one of you gets it right, Man, what a shame. Listen, she still has to make the two free throws, right? We don't know what would have happened. Maybe she makes both and Baylor wins. Maybe she makes one of two and we go to overtime. We'll never know. 
I just would have liked the chance to see what would have happened. And on that note, what a fun show. My thanks to the great Jerry Walker, Seton Hall all-time great for sharing his memories and recollections of that 30th anniversary of the first ever Seton Hall Big East Championship back in 1991. Hey, it's always a blast talking college hoops on the Tri-State College Basketball Report. My name is Brian DiNovellis. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Brian Dino. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the final four. Talk to you soon.